0: Hello and welcome to Scopy Radio. My name is Daniel Johansson.
1: And I'm Maureen Smith. And today we are joined by Heidi Jostin and Evan Mills to talk about Queer Eye.
2: The musical parody.
1: The musical parody.
2: Yeah, thanks for having us.
1: Good yeah, looking out
0: on that. How are you today?
2: <laughs> I'm exhausted, but I'm good. How are yeah. you guys?
0: Good. So we've been at CTV2 the first day, so that's that. as far as... Framing the time and contextualizing—that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's like warmer out. Daniel's weather corner, real quick one. Like Daniel
1: it's... wore shorts prematurely.
0: I did. Prematurely. Wear shorts. the sun Girl, was out. It was misleading. I know, it but it's like misleading. it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: thirty-five degrees outside, and he's wearing shorts.
0: Yeah, and we had to like do a long-ish walk, and I was like feeling it because it was breezy <laughs> and it's really sh- a lot of shade. Um.
2: <laughs> Metaphorically and physically.
0: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. exactly Heidi I'm so glad to have you back on the show it's been oh, it's like so has it been like a year
2: I think so I think well like, did I yeah I oh my gosh I don't even remember you came on by here. your
1: you came on by your, like without me here mm-hmm. in like 2017 right oh my for god for my concerto premiere yes. yeah because yeah, if you don't know right.
0: a little bit of context before we get into the queer of the musical parody um like, Heidi is a fantastic composer uh, you should you go know. find her her music right away because she's great and deserves i everything all oh, the gosh, attention stop. Um, thank you <laughs> yeah heidi Jostin. I just want to go
2: j Dutch double o like mm-hmm. door
0: but um but all that being said so you reached out to us about uh, about this show that you have going on which is which sounds really cool um would you mind kind of introducing it to our audience and let us know what's going on
2: Uh, sure. So I'll start and then I'm going to throw it over to Evan. So, um, together we wrote Queer Eye, the musical parody, which is, I mean, as the title states, it's a parody musical based off of the Netflix show Queer Eye. Um, it's a comedy, but it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. We have an absolutely stellar cast and this is our workshop production, which is really exciting as creators because we get to go in and change things if they're not working. Um, and we have, like our the people we're working with are just absolutely fantastic We're We're like, "Can you try this tonight?" And then if it doesn't work, we do it different the next night. Um it's up at the playground right now, and I'm going to turn it over to Evan to kind of talk about this creative process because this was your baby that sure. you brought me into.
3: Yeah. Um so yeah, going back from like when this all started was I was in uh DC for the summer and I had a lot of downtime and so I was like really heavily watching Queer Eye, and I was like, you know, this is really popular right now, so why not make this into a musical when people are still, like, very invested in this show? So I wrote it all, and then I met Heidi working on a show at The Annoyance, The Annoyance, annoyance. (laughs) called uh, Bite Size Broadway, and she came on as our MD, and after our first rehearsal, I approached her afterwards, and I was like, hey, I I have this idea. You're really... Amazing and I would love to work on this with you. So then we spent like the next two months hashing out Music and all this stuff and basically what we've created is a full Episode of Queer Eye. It's not based on any specific episode But it is based on like a bunch of characters that they make over but it is it follows the Fab Five making over our our main guy named Sam uh, from beginning to end so
1: so it's a parody of not a particular episode, but kind of every episode.
3: Yeah, it's like a combination. Like, I took yeah. the inspiration of Sam, the guy we're making over, is a combination of, like, six or seven of the people they have made over in the show. I just took little elements of everyone.
1: Like, he's the mayor, but he used to be homeless, <laughs> and he...
3: <laughs> Pretty <laughs>
0: much. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, <laughs> did you find that the that amalgamation, like, ended up making... A character that was realistic you know what i mean like
3: yeah i think so i think uh i think what i did was i took characteristic traits from everyone but i put it into a real human yeah. so like mm-hmm. like he has moments where he will he will do something that like the guy from season one episode one does yeah. but at another time like there's another guy who he emulates in another scene with like karamo so it's like it's not exactly like them but it's it's traits put into one real man
2: but what you've created is a really believable person like yeah the <laughs> sam that you've created i would have been absolutely head over heels for in high school i've changed um <laughs> <but> <laughs> well, it's a very believable person
0: and what I, that's inter- so interesting to me because what I really like about Queer Eye is that it seems that the the people that they feature in this reboot are, tend to be, like, different walks of life type of thing, where it's it's the, what, so what did you feel, like, the what kind of themes have you found through your study of the show and application to plot, like, what did you hmm. want to make sure that came across as, I mean, it sounds so cliche to say what were the morals that you wanted to get across, but I don't know how else to put it. Like-
1: well, I mean, that makes sense to me. Cause like, like in terms of overarching themes of like, you know, what kind of like, cause Heidi mentioned like you laugh and you cry, so there are some heartfelt moments. Like what are like, what are the takeaway lessons that people are walk- are going to be walking away from the show?
2: having gleaned um I mean I think the biggest thing we wanted to hit in this show is we aren't parodying characters these are real people and so making sure that each character that's in this show while they may have tropey elements are still very sincere and very well well well-rounded people um the beautiful part about the show Queer Eye is the there is no villain all of the negative things or all of the things that they're fighting are all internal. And it it, often, it's like toxic masculinity being stuck all of these ideas of not being able to change yourself for whatever reason. And so in the creation of it, in making a musical aside from just kind of, you know, parodying an episode, how do we get from A to B while still making everything feel genuine and making you feel like you are invited to participate in this story, even if it isn't your story. Mm -hmm.
1: So the the idea of like not parody parodying it's so hard i know yeah. i've been like working on it for months and i still screwed <laughs> up characters but you know emulating actual people i'm wondering like how was the casting process for the fab 5 in particular because each of them have such strong personalities i mean like i'm i'm curious not only about the casting but also in like the character development around each of the each of the fab five
3: for sure yeah I mean when it came to casting we had a very extensive casting call because we had a lot of people interested but we needed to find like the right person who wouldn't play the character as like a joke and they would take that person seriously and like emulate like the like the embodiment of playing Jonathan is so serious in the way in the way of like we wanted to find someone who wasn't just trying to like make fun of Jonathan because that's not what we're doing. And it was like, we went through and we had all these people come in and what we had them do was essentially just improvise as that person. And we would just throw them questions. We'd be like, okay, you're, you're Anthony, you're shopping at a grocery store. Explain to me what you're looking at. And then this person would go through and do that. And it would be like, Jonathan, talk to us about like, Oh my gosh, you just saw Oprah. You just saw Hillary Clinton. What do you would like go approach her at the bar? Now bring her over to your friends. And like we had these people go through this stuff. And then what we did ultimately at the end is like when we found like the group that we knew we wanted, we didn't cast them right away. We put them all in a room together and saw how they interacted with each other. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, it really came down to we picked we we pay we have a wonderful cast. I could not awesome. even explain how Absolutely. wonderful this cast is. Not like, and including like our ensemble members who play everyone else. It's like, but yeah, I feel like I just went on a tangent, but.
2: No, that's exactly it. Yeah. Um. Another thing, and, and you are both performers, so you understand this. When you're playing somebody in real life, it gets really easy to get consumed in all of their mannerisms, but we specifically wanted with this cast to be able to show like, yes, you are playing a person, you are playing a character, but we want your personality to shine through this other person's personality. So it's very clear of who is playing who, and you can see the certain things that they picked up on. But it's still very much our humans that are shining through this. It's really, it's just been beautiful and remarkable to see all of these characters come to life.
1: I think it would have been really easy for you to, like especially in writing a comedy, for you to just be like, Oh yeah, like let's make fun of these because they all have very big personalities and mm-hmm. and like the the overall tone of the show is is exaggerated. You know, it is it is it is, you know, a makeover played out for camera, which in in its essence is is a dramatic thing. And so I think it would have been like very easy to be like to like tear it to shreds. But I think it's really cool that Like, going into it, you were like, this is an important cultural moment. Like, let's not, like, yes, let's parody it, but let's not, but let's, like, also give it the respect it deserves. Because, like, this is, like, one of, I think that your point of there not being a villain is super astute. Because, like, this is just a show that's doing good things for people. Oh, for sure.
2: And opening up the door to so many bigger conversations.
1: Yeah. Like, I think it's shocking. Like, in in the season where there is a trans individual who has a lot of medical debt, I was – so what I thought was super interesting about that is when they mentioned that they had a lot of medical debt, I was like, oh, they're going to come in and pay their medical debt. And it's going to be like this fantastical thing. Mm-hmm. But they when they didn't, I was like, I wonder why they didn't do that. But then I saw like the community organizing around it. And I was like, oh, like these people aren't coming in as like superheroes. Wait. They're coming in and just kind of like cleaning up around the edges and giving them the platform to, to be empowered to be able to make things happen, happen for themselves, which is unlike any makeover show I've ever seen in my life. For totally. sure.
2: Like, thinking back to, I mean, I loved this growing up. My p- mom loved it. She cried every episode. The Extreme Makeover Home Edition, where they give them, like, twenty five grand at the end. That is that is awesome, and, like, don't we all here would accept a $25,000 yeah. $25, check, but what I love about this show is it's the whole, like, give a man a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach a man a mm-hmm. fish, he'll eat for a lifetime. Right. And this part, like, this particular show gives people the tools to be able to face tomorrow and like what you see in the mirror yeah. in all facets of it. And we wanted that to be reflected in what we were writing. I'm going to gush about my collaborator here because um, you didn't mention it. You, that's right. <laughs> Me? Uh, <laughs> when you point to yourself <clears throat> on microphone, we don't know you're doing it. <laughs> um, so Evan wrote this when he was in residence at the Kennedy Center with Second City. So hes you're just so freaking smart in the way that you have created this from beginning to end and making us fall in love with everybody that's there. Every single member that is... Every single cast member, we have reason to love them. We have reason to want to be friends with them. We have reason to want to spend time investing in each of these characters. And I think the show did that for us in its own way, but editors can make things look any way that they want to. And the way that you've crafted this, you know, 80 minute show from beginning to end is just sublime.
3: Well, thank you. That's very very kind.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's easy to say kind things when they're true. That's
3: very nice. And uh, to, yeah, to, to piggyback on that with like the, the, the humans in the show who do have very large personalities and it is very easy to just be like, Oh, let's, let's just like overextend their personalities and that's it. But like, sure, when I started writing this, of course, like those tropes came out immediately. And then I looked back on the first draft and I said, okay, this is just now a parody. Now let's make it a script. Now let's make it a story. Now let's make them real people. So we went through multiple rewrites and we had table reads and we had, we had Queer Eye fans come and, Listen to the script and then they gave us their feedback and it was like it was a very like helpful thing and I spent days watching those seasons like I have them memorized mm-hmm. and like, like uh and I never get tired of them I never get tired of watching them I've seen that firefighter episode I think like 14 times mm-hmm. and yeah. partially yeah. from Superman but you know <laughs> <laughs> like, but yeah I don't know I just I I never once did I not enjoy writing these characters and the secondary characters like sam and his parents and the love interest and we even like added in betty who as a character who Please sings go on the about theme that, song
2: it's like my favorite part of the show
3: <laughs> well betty who i i personally have always loved betty who i've seen her in concert twice i'm truly mildly obsessed with betty who and if she listens to this i promise i'm not a crazy person betty we
2: love you in all of the best ways. <laughs> um, but
3: she sings the theme song and i remember watching the music video when they came out with that and I just thought it was so funny how the whole music video was them hanging out with Betty Who. And then at the very end, they get in a car and then they drive away without her. And she just goes, uh, okay, uh, what about me? So I incorporated that throughout the entire show where she comes in and she sings the opening theme song. And then she tries so hard to like come back in. And we're like, Betty, you did your job already. Like, <laughs> like, like come on. Um, but she also has a redeeming moment at the end, I think, where we... I guess I don't want to give it away, but we do, we accept her into our group of like, you can join us. Like you are an honorary member, but yeah, it's just like one of those things It's like, I wanted to make sure no one in this show ever felt like we were just making fun of them or making them feel bad about being who they are. So
0: I want to talk more about, um, about Queer Eye's source material. I'm always fascinated, you know, we had, um, I mean, God, it must have been like a hundred episodes ago now, but we had someone on that wrote a uh, "Keeping Up with the Kardashians" opera. No and way! So this, I, yeah, <laughs> it's great. Um, but so it's this idea—the idea of using s- source material that is very much like currently developing and very present—is very interesting to me. And I, I'm curious for you, like, what does that specific element provide uh, for you as far as benefits and difficulties?
3: Um, well, so like, I guess, cause season three just came out. Mm-hmm. So season mm-hmm. three came out opening weekend, which we had not planned. Nope. We, when we, when we marked our dates, we looked up when season three would be premiering and there was nothing out yet cause they were still filming. Mm-hmm. So we were like, well, let's set it for the spring cause it'll probably come out in the spring. Mm-hmm. Weirdly enough, it came out opening weekend. It was <laughs> kind of like fate. Um, and then it was interesting to watch the new season and to see how much in the new season we actually already do in the show Mm -hmm. without having to have seen it. But then there are also things in the new season where I feel like maybe in like a week or two, we could sit down and incorporate some new things that we left out and all that stuff. And, um, yeah, I don't know. Do you want to piggyback on that?
2: No, I think that's that's exactly it. Um, This has been such a fascinating process for me that – to be able to talk to you in the fact that this is a living document. Mm -hmm. Everything that we do here is living. And in the classical world, that's never the case. And as a composer, I hand someone a piece of music and they perform it as is. And it has to go through the first performance, which often is your recording, to say, okay, I want to completely rewrite this or I want to change this. You don't get a workshop process. And... Living inside of the source material, we lived inside of a really, really, at least I did for sure, but we talked about it in a very extensive song map to know where everything was being hit. Um, What styles would work really well for each character without seeming Mm tropey, without seeming like we're exploiting some part of it, but still make a really entertaining musical?
3: And that was all honestly like so much fun of of sitting there going well what's jonathan's song song gonna be like and i immediately was like it's a drag number but not a drag number it's like this it sounds like a rupaul really upbeat 90s powerhouse song but then you go to antony and it's like disney prince Mm -hmm. like i want it to be like really sweet and really beautiful because it's Anthony. He's yep. really sweet and he's really beautiful. <laughs> like...
2: It was so funny writing that number and then seeing season three when they have the Jones sisters over for tea. And it's like this classical music playing in the background. And I'm like, oh my God, we got it right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> um, but that's been, it's been an absolute blast. Just being able to live inside of this living season. And I, what I love about this show in particular is how they learn from their previous seasons and expand upon them for the next ones. Mm-hmm. Like they're making over more women now. Um, we have a part in our show where we specifically talk to, the or the women in the show have their moment where they're like, You know, we don't have to do any of the work here. Like, for just for a change, we aren't the ones that are doing the work, which is very, like, reflective of season one. Like, we're very important to what's going on, but we're just kind of letting everybody else take care of it. Mm -hmm. Season two, they started making over more women. Um, Season three, especially now. Like, it's the crop of people that they are... It's just... It's so inspiring. Because you can see yourself in each of the people that they're making over and then at the same time you can't and you learn from a different story that doesn't belong to you it's just been fun
3: yeah
1: that's super like that's super insightful because there's (laughs) like the stories of the people made over on that show like some of them are devastating oh my god absolutely devastating and like you know so like you know situations that you can't even imagine for yourself but yeah you're totally right then there are some aspects of like yeah, like I also work in a job that's like not the best right now and like man, like wouldn't and, like I also can't keep my room clean. Like what is it? And it's <laughs> just true, yeah. like yeah. and and so like the lessons that you learn like it's 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 a humbling thing of like even even like when you're feeling your worst, like, making small changes to your life, like, the difference it can make in terms of just your outlook is a really empowering message. Mm-hmm.
2: For sure.
0: I I want to touch more on the idea of, of your background cla- with uh, with classical music and with, um, with like, the conservatory traditionalist mindset in this space. I know in the, on this show we've talked a bunch in the past about just, like, conceptually, like, it's a very much a myth that when you come from that space that you you can't do this kind of work that you it's hard to it's it's not i don't know sensible or something to do something that is highly experimental in the way that you've talked about how it's kind of workshop and it is a living document um highly referential to current time like all this stuff is so far removed from what that experience is like but what i and and i I'd love for you to comment on that, but the second level to this for me is something I'm really interested in is for you being so adept at this point. I mean, like you do like improv with Forte Chicago, like you've, you've got that, this other end of the spectrum, like a lot of experience in it. And I'm curious um, having both, both feet squarely in these things. What about the uh, conservatory traditionalist experience has informed your work in the in the kind of improvisational like, current of current, you know what I'm saying?
2: Space. Sure. Oh my God, how angry do I get to get today? Uh- <laughs> <laughs> so it's really fascinating because <clears throat> being now almost three years removed from my master's, I have a very um, interesting look at the conservatory mindset. And don't get me wrong, love music conservatory. I think it's important if you're studying music to know what your history of all of it is. Um, I've had such a a fantastic but very interesting experience leaving my master's and the hands I've had in different classical traditions that have bucked conservatory system, but living inside of it. I had the greatest experience uh, right out of my master's with the Bach and Beethoven experience Mm -hmm. with Brandy and Thomas, Mm -hmm. where when you look at Baroque music, they're improvising all the freaking time. And being able to write for that and give them the opportunity to say, look, this is the the bones of it, but play inside of that. Mm-hmm. They love that. They're like, we had the greatest time being able to play inside of that. And in Forte, I mean, we just have a great time just blowing everything up and creating comedy inside of I wanna say like an acoustic medium. I don't wanna say a classical. I've, I've tried to rebrand everything that I'm doing rather than a classical composer of being an acoustic, primarily acoustic. Um, it's really fascinating to me, the current, I mean, the current tradition of, or the trajectory of classical music, it can be discussed in several different ways. It's a good time to be a lady in this industry. Because people are realizing the 500, 800,000 years that we have ignored women writers. But at the same time, we have a white feminism problem. You know, great. I'm really excited you're performing Jennifer Higdon. She's one of my favorites. If I ever meet her, I'll die. But how many other women of color are you putting on your program? Like these are These are completely different tangents that we've discussed and we've had a lot of conversations on. But I think there's a new resurgence of this idea of play. And I see it so much in New Music Twitter. Um... Mm -hmm. God, watching new music, music twitter it's, it's my wild. favorite place to live <laughs> yeah, i love I it so much At point
0: i realized that that was a thing but as soon as i did i was like wow there are there are a lot of new music people on twitter like
2: <laughs> it's so but like it's really funny <sighs> because we're all there we all have this very 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 deep conservatory training like mm-hmm. i know more about johannes brahms than i ever care to know mm-hmm. and it just lives inside my brain but trying to create new art here I've gotten work from New Music Twitter. I've gotten collaborations from New Music Twitter in that the same improvisation that I do with Evan at The Annoyance or that I do with, you know, Anarchy and Improvised Rock Opera, all of these things where we're getting together and we're just making art, that's happening. Mm -hmm. It's happening to create pieces. I think more performers are realizing that we need to have more works. And so they're seeking out collaborations where, from beginning to end, it's getting this workshop process I'm, we're just lucky enough to have 12 actor 11 actors on stage that are willing to go there with us. And in the theater world, there tends to be this workshop process just because there's so much money behind it in the production. Mm-hmm. So, when we talk about the classical tradition, a lot of times it just comes down to funding, which to which I say I don't write orchestra music. I don't write music that's going to take a lot of funding to get it to where i want it to be that being said i wrote a wind ensemble piece today and i'm very tired um did i answer your question or did i go on some no, random like absolutely <laughs> and, and I, I thought you were
3: gonna be like no no, <laughs> no. <I'm> not... <laughs> no, no you, you didn't did not, I did that.
0: let me a... ask it
1: again no no no,
0: no. I, there's that midwestern thing have you seen this oh, yeah, meme the, that's no, like yeah
1: yeah no oh i yeah. love it yeah no, definitely <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i definitely
0: do that um no, i I think it's I, I think it's really interesting because you know, i I would say like there are a lot of I just did it again, right? I, I think that there are a lot of people that find themselves in this experience where they have a bachelor's, they have a master's and they're out here doing the thing and then you realize that like yeah, you definitely need to dive head first and kind of forget everything you know, but you can't like you you can go into into anything with the intention of forgetting everything you know, but you can't forget everything you know. And it's, it's an interesting, mm-hmm. that is an interesting piece. And I think you need, you entirely need both things. And you need people that don't know, like that don't have, not know, because now it feels really elitist. And I'm not trying to say that. Well,
1: either. I'm, I'm wondering if there's any connection in terms of like training versus application as it applies to your experience, like things that you learned in school, like oh hundred
3: hundred percent. Yeah.
1: So mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like, cause <clears> did you like, what is, what is your background?
3: So I went to school for film. Oh, okay. Like I went cool. to school for photography and film, and I, uh, so so let we'll go we'll go back. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, my mom is a museum curator at a theater, and so I grew up I grew up around theater and art all the time, and uh, I was fascinated with theater since I can remember. And then I remember just being like really scared of doing it, and and never really like applying myself, and then I finally did musical theater and i loved it and then i started doing it but i never was like oh i don't want to like i don't want to like train in this i don't want to pursue in this like and i don't know why i had that mentality but i was also really like a very big film buff and like a huge like movie nerd and so i went to columbia did the film thing and then i like just randomly discovered second city and started working there and i delved into this art of like improv and then i like was scared of that also but then like my training of my music background is uh just by doing so like in school I took the film aspect and my love of theater and in college I wrote a feature-length musical and then we filmed it and we and like it exists and so then I was like okay I learned so much from that so now I'm gonna start writing my own stuff and I got into this mind space of Creating my own things is how I'm going to learn, and I did that, and I would go see shows every night for years, and I would watch actors do the same thing every night and see what they learn every night, because I would watch the same main stage shows six nights a week when I would work there as a host, and I would watch an actor do something that night that didn't hit in the audience, so then the next night they would come back and they would do something else, and that would hit, and it was, like, so fascinating to learn, like, the act of, like, learn by doing. So then I feel like I keep trailing off again. No, no, but no, no, like no, literally. That, literally that exactly is like, it. I just feel like, uh, same with improv. Like I took some classes, but then I was just like, no, I have to force myself to do this. Mm-hmm. So I did it and I would like learn. And then I started auditioning for things and I started getting things. And then everything I was doing scared the shit out of me. But I felt like that was appropriate. If I wasn't, if I wasn't scared and if I wasn't nervous, I wasn't caring And like, that's how I took the mentality of like, I remember doing, we did this show called Bite Size Broadway, where me and uh, five other people wrote eight mini musicals in an hour. Mm -hmm. And we did it for two years. And after a year, I would still get super nervous backstage. And they'd always be like, why are you nervous? We do this all the time. And I would just be like, because like, I really care about this. And like, it it makes me like, I'm very passionate about about this and what I want to do. And then... Yeah, I just, I've just always wanted to create my own content because the only way I feel like I'm going to learn is by failing on my own and then learning from those mistakes. So
1: I think that honestly, the mentality of like approaching something from like a thoroughly researched, like research and then application combined with just like diving in head like getting, getting some information, but then just going in. I think that. That marriage is like so Chicago. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Like and I'm curious for you like in this you know workshopping process that very much does marry your two styles of like you know you mentioned that you know going in and the the planning process of this was mapped out and you know and it's but then like the whole process of this is trial and error you know it's work a workshop process so I'm wondering do you think that this process that you could have accomplished the same thing, not in Chicago.
2: No, I will, I will straight up say no. Um, every human that we have on that stage, aside from being a fantastic actor, musician Mm. is a trained improviser. Mm. And so from the keys, I see a different show every night Mm. and it's just stunning. Um,
3: and we give those actors permission yes. too of like they are professional in the sense of they they respect the script so much. But once mm-hmm. we're in it, they'll ask, they'll go, hey, do you mind if I like tweak this a little bit or if I say something else here? And I'm like, of course, you are all talented individuals that we've presented you something and now you you were something that we're not involved in the writing and music process. You're going to help us just make this a better show. Yep. Like literally last night, we had an actor come out on stage and he improvised a line that was so good and it got a huge laugh and I was like, you need to keep that, like yeah. keep that in there. I would have never thought for you to say that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you wouldn't get those kinds of people in another city. You, I'm just so used to these Chicago actors who are such hard workers and work for free all the time and it's like
2: we are paying them (laughs) we are paying them for our show (laughs) i need to i need to make sure that that's uh
3: (laughs) but to like to, to now like brag a little bit about heidi in the way of like going into this process of me being very like learn by doing and heidi very like very structurally by the book and very very skillfully talented it was truly unreal how quick we wrote this together because i would come in and i would just be like Okay, here are the lyrics, and she'd be like, "Okay, I can picture what this sounds like because the structure you have is is good." Mm-hmm. And I would go, "Okay, well then I'm gonna sing it to you, and this is the style." And then she would literally just go, "You mean like this?" And then it'd be like, "Boom, boom, boom, boom," mm-hmm. and I'm like, "Okay, well, <laughs> fuck it, we're done with that song. Let's move on to the next one." And like, yeah.
2: I'm gonna also gush about you though in terms of like. So my biggest thing that I took away from my insane conservatory training was never, like, writing, was pushing the boundaries as far as they'd go for extended technique. It was having an absolutely concrete micro and macro understanding of form. So that, yes, I just recently wrote a piece that involves a soprano screaming into a piano with a brick on the damper pedal. Like, that... That is an option that I get to write, but, like, because I love musical theater, being able to work with someone like Evan who understands just lyrical structure, lyrical form, how are we going to structure this to make it go from beginning to end without feeling like a Verdi aria, like, knowing that it's going to work inside of a a pop-style form, but I still get to use all of these conservatory tricks is really exciting, um... Something that we had last night that's been a whole new challenge for me that's been really, really great to get used to is the idea that key signature is fluid in musical theater. We had an actor last night who is just one of the best comedic tenors I've ever met. Just high notes for days came to the show sick. And I was like, like, still could sing, still could act, but like didn't have all of these high notes that we usually did. And I said, okay, well, we're lowering the key. That is un... Yeah, you're shaking your head. I that know. Is un- I,
0: mean, I trust you. <laughs> I love it. Like I'm not. It's- like I. I. You how know. Get- I mean, like mm-hmm. I've worked for Baron Rider and like get the- have that end of it, but it's also like do you know how fucking great it is to drop a, a tone. Yeah. Oh my god, oh my god it feels so like, good sometimes. Even when they talk like-
2: about like Queen of the Night being in four fifteen, that mm-hmm. makes a- it makes it a whole new aria, not mm-hmm. having to hit that high F. Mm-hmm. And and somebody like the other thing that people have told me which has been a great um thing for this show which i i hate that this is the term but in my musical theater writings this is my second musical that's gone up here in 2019 was the idea of killing your darlings killing your children knowing that what you are creating is an objective thing that you can have a lot of feelings for but if it's not working it goes In the classical world, I felt like I spent so much time defending what didn't work because I could academically say why it didn't work Mm -hmm. than saying, oh, yeah, you're right. Those ten measures don't need to be there. Bernstein did that all the time. He cut so many measures from the end of Copeland's, what was it, First Symphony, something Mm -hmm. like that? Don't quote me on the number. But he's like, yeah, this is too long at the end. They made cuts. They did all of these things. And I feel I don't know when that changed that we stopped being accepting towards fixing our work when we had the chance Mm -hmm. and defending our choices when they may not work.
0: It's a good question.
2: Yeah. That Uh, could take a a dark turn. (laughs) We have a few minutes left before we have a few minutes
0: left. So I want to ask one more question, which is um, one thing that we also like to talk about and understand more Mm -hmm. is how to collaborate. And I think that this is a really valuable space for that because from what it sounds like, You know, you very much had, when you had the idea for this, it was one thing, but then when you bring other people into the room, like, inherently, there's that degree of, you know, it's your baby, and you, you, like, have to, you know, like, how, what was that experience like for you? Like, how has the collaborative process made this work something that it couldn't be if you had done it on your own?
3: For sure. Um, I have learned so much from this, in the sense of, like, I just simply cannot wear all the hats and at the end of the day excuse me um i wrote it and i had a vision and i had a style and when i brought in the people that i wanted to work with i trusted those people in a sense where i could go okay well i'm going to give this to you and you're going to make some like let's say you're going to make some directing choices and sure maybe that's not initially what i envisioned but i'm gonna just let that go in a sense where i trust you as a collaborator because I put you in that role of the director or the composer. And it's like, I had to really learn about uh, not necessarily like trust, but just like, I really had to just, I guess, trust, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> trust other people with something that I had created. And I had learned so much from it. It even come, even it, when it comes down to like the marketing, like uh, our, like the it's my boyfriend. Uh, (laughs) But Mm -hmm. uh, his name's Michael and he did the marketing and he is, that is what he does. He is, he's professional in that field and he, he's an art director. He's like, you just need to trust me. And I said, okay, I will. It it was very hard because I was like, visually, that's something like I really love as a filmmaker. And as a photographer, Mm -hmm. I really want to everything I present to look good. And, man did he capture oh, it oh
2: god he absolutely killed it
3: and moments like that with like him and with heidi and our director parker and like even the actors it's just like you have to trust that the people you are putting your trust in are going to succeed and going and they're there to help your pro- project and what you made succeed like the, like so yeah it was just a, it's a huge learning process to just say, here you go. I'm letting things go. I don't have to be in charge of everything. I don't have to have the hat of director and choreographer and writer and actor, even though I am in it. (laughs) Um, Our tan France, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) But Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't know. Do you you have anything? Yeah,
2: I think the biggest thing for me in collaboration was patience. Mm. To watch somebody learn it and say, okay, is this going to work? How does it hit? And if it's not working, then you fix it. Um, I run a million miles an hour in different directions. And just being present for the shows. I'm playing the shows, which is exciting to be there. But, like, observing while also contributing. And finding the ways to fix it. And also, like, maybe not. Because it may be hitting in a different way than you think it needs to. And... Um, It's really fascinating to get a musical on its feet because I feel like at this point, it's, you spend so much time with it. And and as a composer, like, I don't write music when I'm happy. It just doesn't, that has never been how I've created. And I've been so freaking joyful creating this because we wrote it in the room together, watching people get it on its feet. We get to see, okay, are these jokes hitting? If they're not, okay, how do we fix this? How many little musical nuggets can I throw into this show within the 22nd Fair Use Law to make it fun? (sighs) Mm -hmm. And I think that's really a gift with a comedic parody musical where the source material is just so rich in making you feel joy. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't another episode of it's always sunny philadelphia in philadelphia where you have to live inside of these like really awful characters and try to create humor out of that like this is really a magical joyful process
3: sick burn on always sunny i
2: love it's always sunny <laughs> my, family, my family is the perfect combination of the partridge family and it's always sunny <laughs> like i love Ooh. it's always sunny it's yeah. always sunny
1: um, I hope that you hear our burn and hear it for what it is. And hire us mm-hmm. to write your next musical. I gotta
0: say,
3: I would watch that, the shit out of that.
2: <laughs> I love Charlie Day and he's a great songwriter. Oh, Listen, yeah. I
3: want to write, like... I want to write Shits Creek, the musical next. So that's, you know, let's make on. some
2: calls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got a lawyer on hand.
0: <laughs> cool. Well, thank you both so much for being here. This has been an absolute pleasure. Thanks yeah. Thank you for us. having us. This has been super fun. Well, so yeah. the last thing we do with all with all of our guests is a one minute plug for anything they have upcoming. Chair
1: is so noisy. It's very creaky. <laughs> yes. I want to get a mess.
0: Like real talk, Shit's I want creaky. one of those really beautiful ones. The like gamer three hundred dollar, and you sit mm, in, yes. you're like on a cloud. Ooh, uh, oh, I'm. This is a the chair I sit on is like I got it from someone's apartment. Like they were like, not true. that's
1: from my mom's house.
0: This one is. <laughs> yeah. I thought this was the one from Claire. Uh, no, this Claire's. is a nice one. But also not one that... I mean, it's also kind of weird. I mean, it's nice. It's nice. I don't want to shit <laughs> <laughs> on, your, on your mom's attic chair. But <laughs> anyway, okay, okay, okay. Um, uh, is a one-minute plug. Last thing we do, one-minute plug for anything you have upcoming. Sometimes it's very obvious, like letting people know where they can attend a uh, last run uh, of performances. Otherwise, uh, we love hearing... Um, any shout outs to the folks that are doing dope work or any media that you're consuming self-care or otherwise, um, music TV shows, things like that
3: to, Oh, okay. Um, well, I'll just, I'll, uh, so I'll start with queer. Eye. queer. Eye, uh, it runs Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, uh, for the rest of March. And then we're off the first week of April. And then we're back April 11th through the 27th, Yes. Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And then we have one more industry night, uh, April 15th at 8 PM, All the shows are at 8, except for Saturdays at 9. I could have done that in a better order. It's (laughs) It's at the Playground Theater. Um, And then I'm also in a show called Legendary Laughs at the Second City, which is on Saturdays and Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. Um, And then I'm also in a music duo called Evan and Mary Jane. And we are doing uh, a really awesome show at the end of April. I think it's April 29th. It's a Monday at 9.30 p.m. with this amazing New York music comedy duo called the reformed whores so we're opening for them they're closing it out and it's going to be at the annoyance theater so
2: nice
1: cool.
3: Cool.
2: heidi um i have two plugs uh one i want to plug um friends of mine uh ethan krupp and david reddick who just got a grant to put up their musical hildegard this summer it's based off of hildegard funding and every it's just a fantastic show um I'm going to be doing a little bit of music supervision work on that. And then um, this just happened this week. I want to plug, if any of you are classic rock fans, that The Who is going going on tour again with Um, a 50-piece orchestra, and I'm going down um, to West Palm Beach to be the uh, music assistant and librarian for those rehearsals. I
1: (laughs) I saw that and, like, was between things, but saw it and screamed. (laughs) I... I was, like, in middle school, would walk, I would, like, hide my Walkman in my denim jacket.
2: Oh, God, bless Maureen. With, we were the with, same person. With my,
1: with um, a, a, a headphone, a broken headphone <laughs> in my sleeve, God. and I would walk around pretending like my head itched. But in reality, I was just listening to Baba O'Reilly and Tommy yep. on repeat.
2: I used to roll the windows down in my really crappy Ford Taurus and just cruise through the Blue Hills with Baba O'Reilly on repeat. Yeah. I just felt so bad singing Teenage Wasteland as yeah, a high schooler. Yeah, yeah. It was that great.
3: That was literally the best image to picture of like Walkman, a hidden Walkman with headphones going through your sleeves and then being like, "Ugh, my head hurts. But you're listening. Yeah.
1: Like, no. And I would sit there in class like this, just like listening to that's class. So like, that's so smart. Amazing. Why did I
3: never think of I doing that? I also did that. And then I had the graphing calculator
0: that you could play games on, so I would be one hand with the music and the other hand playing Mario on my graphing calculator. I Love do remember it so that. Much. Fucking high school. Man, I was just sleeping. <laughs> 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 cool. Cool. Well, uh, thank you all so much for listening. I've been Danielle Johansson.
1: I continue to be Maureen Smith.
0: If you want to keep up with what we are up to, there's so many ways you can do that. The first is to head over to. Scoppymag.com, that's our website. We post all of our articles there as well as all of our podcast episodes. You can also find us on social media on Facebook. We have a Facebook page called Scopy Magazine. We also have a Facebook group that we love and adore called Sounding Board, where we talk about local arts, local politics, and astrology memes. Otherwise, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr under Scopy Mag, spelled the same way as the website, S-C-A-P-I-M-A-G.
1: And I'm here as always to talk about the importance of subscribing. If you head to our website, scopymag.com and go to our subscribe page, there are a couple ways that you can do that. The first is to sign up for email blasts. This is huge because even though we post across social media platforms, Facebook buries our content, so if you want to see 100% of what we're doing and not just 30% of it, you should sign up for those email blasts. The second thing you can do is become a member. For as little as $2 a month, you can help us keep our lights on and pay our artists. We're currently in the middle of a fundraising campaign called the Sustain Campaign, so please, please, please consider signing up at just $2 a month to help us pay our writers some more. I think that we could all get behind that. Also, if uh, you're interested, we also have merch for sale. Head to scopymag.com slash store to buy your new favorite t-shirt. That is a promise. Also, if you are a business or an entity or just have something fun to say and want to advertise with us, please feel free to reach out to us at scopymag at gmail.com. So give a little, give a lot. And if you can't give, then listen, participate, and share.
0: Cool. Thanks again so much for listening. Go out and make something.
1: Yep.